everyone. Welcome back to the FTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 94, your weekly podcast covering everything Magic the Gathering related. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, as well as mtggoldfish.com. Your host, Chaz, as always, covering various fina- uh, financial parts of the game, as well as just general content, really. And joining me is Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, our resident budget and jank deck builder. <laughs> what is up, Seth? Oh, uh, what's up, Chaz? How's it going today? I'm doing well. No Richard, the owner of uh, MTG Goldfish, uh, just in case anybody doesn't know. He is not with us. He won't be with us for a couple weeks, so it'll be just me and Seth holding down the fort. So on the docket is... We had a large modern GP, as well as an SCG uh, classic that Seth and I will break down. Some really interesting stuff coming out of the GP. We we have our takes on that. Uh, changes to legacy, large Star City Games announcements coming to just the overall open series and legacy in particular that uh, we didn't get to cover, so we're going to talk about that. The Drake banning in Popper actually is really important news because uh, apparently this was a, a big thing. So we want to just cover that a little bit. We have fish mail, and if we get to it, we might talk a little bit about the Frontier format. So let's just uh, dive right in, Seth. Modern, what did you think of the GP and, uh, to a lesser extent, the SCG Classic? Well, I mean, Blood Moon won the tournament, and I love Blood Moon. Scred Red, out of nowhere, took down GP Dallas-Fort Worth. So I love it just because of that. I mean... Uh, I'm such a big fan of that style of deck, and it's never really broken through. It's always been floating around. People, if you know Modern, you know what Scred Red is, but it's never really broken through and, like, won a GP or anything like that, so it's pretty exciting. Also, huge news, the deck is under 300 bucks, and it just won a GP, which, uh, if you look at the rest of the decks in Modern, you're looking 1200 800 900 700 so it's really cost-effective, which is pretty pretty cool too to see a cheap deck do so well but overall it was a really interesting gp because throughout the week people seemed a bit down on modern there was a big conversation about dredge is it too dominant does it need a banning there was a big conversation based on an article that i think seth mansfield wrote that was about how modern is a turn three format and you just have to like outbroken your opponent and goldfish as fast as you can and then we ended up with this slow blood moon deck versus straight up grixis control in the finals of the 2000 person gp so i i hopefully this restores some people's faith in the format because just looking at the list some interesting unexpected decks performed well and it was incredibly diverse i mean you still get the big decks but there's a lot of diversity throughout the top 64 and the top 16 at the scg event yeah and that's kind of where i was going with that is and i'm glad you brought that up it's it was gp dallas uh, slash fort worth just so you know everyone uh, knows that. Uh, congrats to Kevin Mackey for taking it down with the Scred Red, Red List. I don't think at any point, like, you know, we've had our qualms with Modern and, you know, kind of these these problems that have cropped up over, you know, since the time of its inception. But I don't think ever on this cast that we've really said that Modern was not diverse. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's, you know, the the big decks, like, you know, Jonder Infect at this point or, you know, Dredge now uh, that has recently been popular but it's always been diverse. I mean, there's always like a slew of 1.5 to 2, you know, tier 2 lists are just always on the outside. And that's just exactly almost what happened at this point. If this is the first time you've seen Scred Red, then 
you don't check MTGO results too much because it does place on MTGO lists. And actually, this actually looks more indicative to MTGO results uh, because it's almost like a different deck that is 5-0-ing or does 5-0 in those leagues like all the time. So it's good to see a deck like Scred Red. Uh, is it just a byproduct of the meta? Maybe. Uh, some people saying, you know, oh, it's not you know normally good and this, that, and circumstances. And I, I would tend to agree. We've talked about the deck in the past, and I know that because uh, whenever Scred Red does well, subsequently Scrying Sheets always trends up, and it did uh, <laughs> over the you know last couple of days. So, and I've definitely seen the price chart of Scrying Sheets definitely go up and down. So you know, like when Scred Red is doing well, and when Scred Red is not doing so well. But, uh, I mean, you nailed it. I mean, through the top 64, there was definitely some diversity. Uh, but but I want your, actually your take on this. And, and you mentioned, like, oh, this deck is, you know, 300 bucks or less, you know. This is not telling me that, you know, the deck or the format is still accessible and, and cheap. I mean, let's not, like, let's not be result-based oriented here at... You know, because you look at the next 64 lists, I mean, we're clocking it at over 500 for a majority of them. You know, and that was kind of our always our big issue with Modern is that that it's just it's kind of restrictive to a lot of players. And I, I think if that barrier comes down, Modern would be even more popular. I mean, our our problem was never with Modern. I mean, you're right. I wasn't. I wasn't suggesting that. Oh, because Scred Red uh, won the GP, that Modern is accessible. Because that's that's definitely not true. But I think it does provide. I for me, two lessons really. First off, it does show that you can have success with a deck that isn't playing four Tarmogoyfs or playing four Liliana the Veil. So there there are options available. So even though Modern still needs to get more accessible and most of the tier decks are really expensive, it does show that you can uh, do something really powerful and potentially win a tournament with a deck that isn't as expensive. More importantly, it shows... Just how wide open the format really is. Uh, we were talking before the cast, and I kind of mentioned it reminds me of Legacy, where you have a few decks that are at the top of the format, and you know those decks are probably always going to be at the top of the format. You have like the Miracles, and you have the various Delver builds that are very strong, and these different decks lands at some point. And Modern is like that as well. You have your Infects and your Affinities and your Dredge right now, but then there really is a ton of decks, 20 decks, 30 decks that can legitimately win a tournament if the pilot puts the time in, puts the effort in, learns the deck, learns the matchup. So I think it's really encouraging in that sense because it it shows that things that aren't expected and aren't at the top of the format can still not only perform well. We're not saying, oh, you know, this uh, this person went 10 and 5 and got a top 64. They won the entire 2,000-person GP. So it, it just... It's a good reminder that even though sometimes people get down on the format, it is very wide open, and there's still a ton of brewing and potential where you can build your own Scred Red deck homebrew with Eternal Scourge and potentially win a GP, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and like I, I said again, our contention was never with the diversity of the format rather than just the accessibility where, yeah, okay, a $300 deck did win the tournament, and that's absolutely awesome. Like I said, I'm not disagreeing with that. But 
I mean, I would love Modern to be even more accessible, and it would probably be a lot more popular, and people wouldn't be so down on it because a lot more people would be playing it. And who knows at that point what what ends up happening? I mean, if people can brew up Scred Red and take down a giant two thousand GP, you know, person GP. Who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, another another question for you, Chaz, is Blood Moon, uh, Ensnaring Bridge, those type of cards. That's one of the, the arguments you hear a lot, is we should get rid of those old core sets that have those cards, uh, because it just they're not fun. Getting Blood Moon locked isn't fun. Getting Ensnaring Bridge locked isn't fun. It doesn't make for enjoyable games. But without those cards, you wouldn't have this long shot outsider deck actually taking down the GP. So do you think this will yeah. will calm the calls for like Blood Moons and Ensnaring Bridges to get banned based on people actually knowing what Scred Red is and seeing it win a tournament? Yeah, I don't think you're ever going <laughs> to like totally wipe out that uh, argument. But no, I, I mean, I tend to agree. And I mean, who knows? Maybe that's just... I mean, we don't ban Blood Moon, but it, it does say that, you know, there are certain cards that you know, do a specific thing that no other card does that is is a legitimate has a legitimate place in modern and kind of dictates where modern goes for for a deck like Scred Red to do well, right? Like maybe that just maybe don't ban Blood Moon, but give us more options, right? Give us more if there were more options to deal with stuff, then we wouldn't have this that kind of that dialogue. Yeah, and that because brings... clearly they're using Blood Moon as a response to what's going on in the metagame, right? Like, Blood Moon's so important that they kind of built the whole deck around it. And and that brings us back around to uh, the possibility of having cards enter modern in a way that isn't standard legal sets. Yes. Yes. So I think that's where that's where that conversation leads me in that. There was a big post on Reddit this week about Dredge, someone uh, that I'm not familiar with, wrote an article saying, like, we need all these bannings. It was mostly about Dredge, but also other things. And there yeah. was, like, five or six cards that they wanted banned. And my argument was pretty much, like, instead of just banning stuff, why don't we just have a way that Wizards can put stuff into the format that can be more answers and, like, improve the format that way? So, I don't know. I hope that that's something that Wizards is at least considering, because I think we'd yeah. both be on board with that. Yeah, and another, I mean, even to just piggyback off that, like, why would we already be looking for bans. I mean, isn't Dredge like still relatively new? I know it's been around, but it was only till recently that Dredge really kind of kicked up and is now as prominent as it is. Like, look how long it took for for tw Splinter Twin to be banned. I mean, you just you need more kind of time for for the format to adapt and all that. And isn't and you talked about legacy and I think that's a great point. Isn't that what everybody loves about legacy? Like how legacy is always adapting. There's all these different decks that at any one moment could just like spike a tournament like this. Like, isn't that the best qualities of legacy? I mean, I know you're not casting brainstorm or force of will, but isn't that still like really the huge selling point of legacy is that it's just so diverse. There's all these different like things you could be doing. I think that is one of the huge selling points. Also, Brainstorm is a big selling point. But, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but you can see, like, it's the ability for Wizards to put new cards into the format that does that, though. We see, like, Aluren is becoming a legit, maybe not Tier 1, but, like, Tier 1.5, it's winning tournaments and, like, really performing based solely on Wizards' ability to print Recruiter of the Guard in Conspiracy 2, and we don't have that in Modern. So that's what I want to see, because I think Absolutely. that supports the diversity and keeps the format so exciting and fun and fresh. Legacy can do it. We should be able to do it in Modern, but Wizards... Uh, hasn't figured out how to do it yet or hasn't been willing to do it yet. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been saying that. <laughs> I think we can go back, like, 
almost halfway through all the podcasts, and I think we've been saying that for quite some time. Uh, I I will say about Dredge though is. There's always exceptions to the rules, and if there's ever an exception where you just, like, ban it because of what it is, it's probably Dredge. It reminds me of how Storm, like, we saw a lot of bannings in the beginning of Modern, but for some reason, like, even when Storm was bad and not doing well, Wizards would just ban a random Storm card because they didn't want that to be, like, a real thing in Modern, and Dredge is for me, kind of on that level. Like, I think formats are better when Dredge doesn't exist. So if they were going to just randomly ban something for the sake of, like, not having a mechanic or a deck being in Modern, I would be pretty much on board with that. Like, Dredge just isn't... It was a mistake, honestly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So if they did ban something from it, I wouldn't be shocked, just because we've seen that with Storm, which was another similar mistake in yeah, it's, a it's, real sense. It's a mechanic that is too easy to take advantage of, right? Like, it's just one of those degenerate mechanics that, wait, I mean, exactly, right now. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of in the camp of, you know, may, might have to give it more time. Um, I was even in that camp with Eldrazi when, you know, at very first when it spiked the Pro Tour, but then it was pretty obvious that it was something that's not going away. You know, as much as I don't like to say pull the trigger and ban it, like you said, Seth, like, why not just add more cards? Obviously, that's not going to happen as quickly. So, yeah, I mean, Dredge is kind of up in that, like, 10%, like, 9%, 10%, and we've seen before, like, that's enough to get you know, some action. And, and so it might be that time. And maybe the bigger argument is I think it does limit what wizards can print. Cause like sure in the Reddit thread where you're, uh, where this was being discussed, uh, the biggest thing people were saying was, well, ban prized amalgam, ban blood gas. And I was like, no, we want wizards to be able to print blood gas. Blood gas is a sweet card. It enables different so strategies. Prized prize amalgam <laughs> is the same way. Look at in standard. It's created really interesting and fun archetypes that aren't yeah. overpowered. We, so if we ban prize amalgam and blood gas, that means either wizards can just not print those kind of cards anymore, or we're going to have to ban the next prize amalgam and the next prized amalgam for infinity when we could just like ban anything that dredges for more than four cards say like grave troll and stinkweed imp just get rid of those and be like all right we solved the problem forever instead of banning all the symptomatic cards yeah so i don't i don't know yeah unbanned golgari grave troll it didn't work it's time to put it back on there so you but, know like in a sense it's like it's like the same justification they used for something like Birthing Pot, though, in a real sense, where it's like Wizards wants to be able to print cards with good Enter the Battlefield abilities, and Birthing Pot just limits their ability to do that. Sort of, the dredge mechanic in Modern does the same thing for any sweet graveyard interactions, because just because it's so easy for dredge to fill the graveyard, uh, it could potentially be broken, even if the card itself is fine. Yeah. And just before we move on, so the other results for SCG Baltimore, eight different top decks in the top eight. So, I mean, like I said, our gripe was never with, like, how diverse Modern is or even how good Modern is. I thought I always thought Modern was a pretty good format. You know, the caveat here was always we kind of, like, it, it was still new. I mean, look how it, it takes time to cultivate these formats and kind of shape them. I mean, I think they've done a pretty good job. There's always, like... There's, there's always been that diversity. Obviously, there's some little hiccups along the way, but that's to be expected. I mean, Norrin Sisters. Norrin of the Wary Soul Sisters was in the top eight. Like, that's pretty diverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And just outside the top eight, we had, like, Red Green Ponza and, like, like Bant Collected Company with all these spirits. And we had, like, we had like just a straight-up black-green rock. Like, we had a lot of stuff. 
Yeah, there in ninth place there was a black red Eldrazi deck that was essentially right. like very Jund like, just removal and thought not seers and reality smashers, along with like Kalidus and Wasteland Stranglers. So there's still like new and interesting stuff happening, which I don't know. I think the speed of the format still bothers me sometimes. I yeah. I really do think that decks like Infect could be powered down like a half a turn. Uh, Affinity might be the same way. Like, I don't want these decks gone, but they uh, they limit some of the fun stuff you can do just because of how fast and efficient they've gotten. But overall, I think Modern is still in a pretty solid place. Yeah. All right, so let's move on. Uh, big announcement to the Open series from SCG. So they're essentially dropping Legacy to a point where there's only a couple of tournaments, right? So just break down the, the announcements. Uh, it, it even got to the point where they might have scrapped the SCG tour altogether. So just run through the changes for us real quick. Okay, so SCG put out their schedule for the SCG tour next year. Uh, there's a few big changes. Uh, there's no states events. Uh, they've added team events a couple times. They've cut down on the number of invitationals, gotten rid of the players' championship. But all this stuff is neither here nor there. Just changes, stuff changes, that's whatever. The big news is, uh, so two years ago, Legacy was a supported format. They had on-camera events, then they switched, kind of replaced it somewhat with Modern, and made Legacy an off-camera format that took place every weekend there was still a, a legacy classic well next year legacy classics will only happen on weekends when there's a legacy open and or when there's a team event so that makes it about twice per season and remember this is the classics the off-camera 5k events so essentially there will be maybe two two legacy events, off-camera legacy events, each season. So four for the entire year, down from having one every single weekend that there was an open this year. So maybe 30-some this year, down to approximately four next year. So just a massive reduction in legacy tournaments, which, I mean, what do you think, Jazz? Like, is this unexpected to you, or have you seen the writing on the wall as far as legacy we've seen the writing on the wall for quite some time uh yeah but i mean it's it's no it's not really a surprise why would it be a surprise i mean if people want to put their head in the sand and you know pretend like nothing's happening that's fine but everything has kind of been pointing to this point it, it's been a long slow drawn out process but it's been happening for a while so i i mean this is just another kind of peg in that coffin of of legacy and you know People want to say what they want to say, but it really is a shame. I never want to see a format just go, but that's just kind of the way it's supposed to go. What my, I'm more concerned with is they were getting to a point where they had to scrap the SCG tour altogether. So what is, you know, that kind of sends up red flags to me more than just more of the same with Legacy and how it's kind of just being slowly dragged through the mud here for as long as it has. It's really not optimistic. Uh, I'm not optimistic about, the you know, on the table was the, the the choice of removing SCG Tour altogether. That was on the table. So they were legitimately considering it. And if that was going to get scrapped, I mean, where do we go for the the, the production and the quality of, of streaming and the exposure of Magic the Gathering? I mean, you know, we can argue uh, where, where Magic the Gathering is going and this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, you should always kind of be concerned because things don't really last forever. But, yeah, I mean, that's just a, like a huge 
you know, chunk of exposure just suddenly that is not there. And, and we talked about this, uh, you know, before the cast, you know, the pre-recording that, you know, other people have kind of, you know, Channel Fireball is now kind of stepping up to the plate. Other things are improving, but the bar has been set. And if SEG were to suddenly, like, just kind of pull out in, in like, you know, just the tours and all that and not have this sudden exposure, I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, the SCG Tour is like the premium tournament series. It's obviously from a player's perspective, it's not as important as GPs. GPs qualify you for Pro Tours, and Pro Tours is the pinnacle. But as far as just like sitting down to watch some magic on the weekend, the coverage, all that stuff, uh, Star City Games for years has been the cream of the crop best announcers best production i think that over the past six months to a year i think channel fireball has really caught up to them with their on-camera talent and with their some of the changes they've made to their coverage playing two matches each round and stuff but really this is a hugely important tournament series as far as giving magic exposure nothing else really compares to that in fact when a scg tournament runs alongside a wizards covered gp it's usually the scg tournament that has the more viewers happening so uh, the fact that something that important to the eSport aspect of Magic, the we're on Twitch, the we have places for tournament players to play every weekend, was right on the brink of just disappearing out of the blue is kind of shocking. Uh, and I don't know what this means. We haven't really gotten anything that would suggest, like as far as cold hard numbers, that would suggest that Magic is in decline or having major issues, but maybe there is something going on behind the scenes at SCG financially that we don't know about, but it's just weird. The whole thing is just weird. The fact that they cut Legacy is depressing, but completely expected. The fact that we almost just lost the SCG tour altogether with no warning is borderline shocking, so I, I don't know what to make of it. I don't either, and it, like I said, just the thought of it being on the table was actually really disconcerting. I mean, it, you basically just nailed all the points. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, could it be at that point, you know, other people, like Magic's still healthy, and, uh, you know, they just kind of, you know, because we discussed this, maybe this is more of like we bit off more than we can shoot kind of thing, but I'm not really seeing that argument pan out too much because they were just adding more and more, you know, cast uh, duos, you know, for for a while there, and they've been doing it for so long. I mean, I don't know why suddenly, maybe they just kind of expanded too quickly. I don't know. I'm just a little um, hesitant to peg it as that because it was just up until recently that they're kind of assembling all these cast teams. Like you had Ryan Overturf, you had Matthias Hunt, you have, you know, you have this that, you know, this person that person. That I don't really think it was that. Maybe it was just more of like a more general meta uh, concern that. They're just spending all this kind of money and, you know, paying out people to cast and all this, that, that it just wasn't profitable with what they make on, I guess, magic. Maybe the exposure is just not worth it. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, that's a really big question is, like, is it really profitable for them to cover all these tournaments? I I honestly don't know. Like, I don't think they make money or very much money. They're they're probably breaking even at best off of the actual events when you consider all that goes into it and all they have to pay out. So for it to be worth it, it's got to be giving them enough eyes and enough viewers as promotion to really make it pay off. And maybe they just feel like it's it's not doing that. We've kind of seen the same 
thing from Wizards, and they did at the community's request after a bunch of begging and pleading, add more GPs into the coverage, but Wizards really cut back on GP coverage over the first part of this year, which maybe Wizards and SCG and all these people are just realizing that having 8,000, 10,000 people watch your Twitch stream isn't worth the cost of covering and supporting these big tournaments. Right. I mean, between that and the subs, yeah. I mean, I don't I don't think so. You just look at the production. That has to be that has to be made up somewhere, right? Like that just isn't just free. I mean, I would maybe who knows, maybe they branch out into something cuz I I could tell you with the the production that and the quality that they bring, even if they were to branch out, I'm just using, you know, like Hearthstone or whatever as a an example here. But I mean, their their production and quality is pretty much rival like anyone in any way coverage of anything. Yeah, I mean, they definitely do a great job in coverage, and especially, I mean, even their new announcers are solid, but uh, Patrick Sullivan and Cedric Phillips are just a great, a great team as far as covering events, and that's not just from a Magic perspective. They just have oh, chemistry yeah. and get yeah. along. Like uh, They're just a really good coverage team, period. So you never know what could happen in the future, I guess. You have tons of possibilities because they are really good at what they do. And maybe that's the scary part, Chaz. Like, SCG is really good at what they do. And if yeah. they don't find it worthwhile to do something they're legitimately great at... What's the odds that it's going to be worth it for lesser tournament series X, Y, or Z to do it? Like, if SCG can't make it work, how can anyone make it work? Uh, Yeah, that's that's really where I came away with that, Seth. I mean, I just, I don't know the answer to the question. And it's just, like like I said, it's really concerning. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's the question, right? Yeah, that is, that is the question. I just unfortunately don't have the answer. Uh, Yeah. But for now, I mean, it looks like that they were able to hold on to the uh, the open series, so we'll we'll see how far that goes. Uh, but at least you know they're they're willing to keep it going for now. Yeah, I mean that's that's good news. This definitely would be a much different conversation if their announcement was just like, "Oh, sorry, it's all gone," which <laughs> yeah. apparently is what almost happened based on what they said. So, right out of those two choices, this is definitely the better of the two. Right, and that's kind of us just kind of theorizing about it all. But, I mean, again, I, I I mean, some people might not like me for this, for saying this, but I'd rather lose Legacy, their coverage for Legacy, than to lose the whole thing. So if they have to cut that and they feel like they can still keep going on with the Open Series, that's fine. <laughs> as You know, as unfortunate as that is for, for a percentage of the community, I mean. And, and from the perspective of someone who watches the events, it doesn't really mean much of anything because they weren't covering those events on camera anyway. You got, like, the top 16 lists or something. So for me, the more impactful one was whatever it was a year or two ago when they were like, oh, we're getting rid of, or, well, drastically reducing the on-camera legacy events. So I think that that announcement had a much bigger impact because legacy was already essentially gone. It was just this, like, side event that got the deck lists posted. So this doesn't seem like that big of a deal unless you're a legacy player who is going to these events. Then it's <laughs> yeah. obviously a huge deal. Yeah. All right, moving along. So uh, essentially what it is is an emergency banning in Popper. So Peregrine <laughs> Drake is is gone. Yeah, this is more of your wheelhouse than mine. I don't really play Popper as much, but I know this has been an issue basically since, what, Eternal Masters made this into a common, and so we're going on, what, six, seven months now? What's it, in May? 
Yeah, so I think, yeah, about yeah. six months. Yeah, so this has been an issue, and I guess they figured, what did they have to lose? <laughs> so, yeah, because, I mean, you brought up, I mean, in the pre-recording that, you know, is this kind of unprecedented or just a special case? And I'm leaning towards special case here because, again, I mean, Popper, it's not like a huge constructed, you know, setting. So they figure, I guess, why not, right? Yeah, and the outcry had gotten pretty extreme. Like, uh, as you know, we do Playing Popper is one of the series we have on the site and on the channel. Uh, Jake does it. And it got to the point where everyone expected Drake was going to get banned this last announcement. It didn't happen, and Jake pretty much just said, I'm done. Like, I, I am not doing the series anymore until they ban Drake. And he wasn't the only one to have that sentiment that just like Popper is unplayable right now and this is from people that love Popper and this is their primary format so I think that it just got to the point where Wizards felt like we really got to do something like if websites that are supporting the format and like doing content on this format are literally dropping their coverage because of this card we can't just wait until the end of January we got to do something now I think the precedent question is really interesting because Popper is essentially a Magic Online format. Some people play it in paper, but primarily it's Magic Online. And emergency bannings are incredibly rare throughout Magic's history. And this could just be another incredibly rare emergency banning. Or it could be a sign that Wizards, with formats that are mostly on Magic Online, feels like they can have more freedom to change things up. I mean, you've seen Hearthstone... They just randomly, like, nerf cards and change cards whenever they want to. So maybe Wizards will be a little bit looser with banning things to improve formats on Magic Online-only formats. I don't know if that's true or not, but it could be. I mean, it seems like with Magic Online, Wizards has taken a ton of steps to try to imitate Hearthstone, in, in some ways at least. And I wouldn't be surprised if that could be another thing on the list of being able to be more reactive with impacting formats... Obviously, you can't do that with paper very easily, but if it's a format that's almost only played on Magic Online, they might have more flexibility to do that. Yeah, and again, like you said, the paper, but in, just in like maybe in constructed uh, formats in general, I think maybe they felt more empowered to do this quickly. Well, I guess, you know, quick for them, right? Like there was still a considerable amount of time in between, but it, it's just really hard because like, like you said, there's... I mean, I maybe can count on one hand the amount of emergency bans in, like, Modern or Legacy or what have you, uh, where they had to, in paper, change, like, and ban something. So it's it's a little harder, you know, on that kind of level to just come out, like, within, you know, a few months and ban, you know, this card. I mean, the last time they really had to do it was the Eldrazi Winter thing, where they pretty much felt compelled that they had to do this. And the other thing is, it might just be a testament to Pauper. Uh, if... They did this with Sensei's Divining Top and Legacy. They would have a huge outcry because you just (laughs) destroyed people's $3,000 deck that they just bought. And Pauper, I'm looking at the prices right now. The most expensive deck is like $50. A lot of them are like (laughs) $20, $30. So even if you just bought Pauper, a Drake deck for Pauper, you're out like 20 or 30 bucks, and you're probably not going to scream as loud as someone who just had their $3,000 investment crushed. Right, and isn't some of those cards like kind of you know you know universal anyway, like kind of ubiquitous in the format, or is it very like specific? Uh, no. Apart from Drake, a lot of the cards, counter spells, card draw, uh, cantrip oh. type spells, go into a bunch of different decks. So even if you did buy it, you're not just completely screwed over. Yeah. 
All right, so let's move on into. I mean, we haven't really talked about this on the cast, but you know, while Richard is gone, you know, there are some things that happen. I mean, there's a huge uh, tournament by Big Magic over in uh, hosted through Haria, or I don't know exactly how that worked, but there was 300 participants. And the prize payout was actually pretty substantial. I think first place got like ten boxes or something like that. So this, if you haven't heard uh, about Frontier, it's kind of one of these. I wouldn't say like grassroots, but another Hararuya and now I think face to face games out of Canada, Toronto, uh, are kind of championing this format. And it's M15 forward. So this is the new border with the holographic stamp, which is you know logical, and. It's actually, you know, gaining some some traction here, so we wanted to talk about it, not to, like, you know, let, let me just add the caveat right here. We're not trying to, like, push this in any kind of financial way. We just, you know, saw it. It's interesting. Uh, Seth and I have actually talked about uh, Eternal, uh, which was kind of a remedy to where Legacy was and, you know, our best guesstimate on how they would kind of try to get out of Legacy and the reserved list and just get out from under there and go forward. Uh, but this kind of just seems like the same thing, right, Seth? Like, it's kind of just filling the void of people who think, you know, modern currently in its, you know, form is, is pretty kind of, it's pretty expensive. And a place where all these standard cards that are now no longer legal, they can keep playing them, right? And they don't really have a place in modern. You know, some of these cards that we may talk about, they really probably don't ever have a shot at modern, right? Like Whisperwood Elemental, you know, what have you. Uh, Mantis Rider, stuff like that. So... You know, this is kind of our first time talking about it, and we might delve into it a little bit more in the next few weeks while Richard is gone, just to kind of either, you know, just in the delve in some stuff that we may not have been able to get to, uh, or, you know, just just to kind of fill the void uh, while Richard is gone and just, you know, talk about some of these things. We plan on talking about, like, finance and stuff, too, not just from a financial perspective. Let's just kind of just, what do you think about Frontier, just the idea of it? Uh, all right, so I have really <laughs> mixed feelings on Frontier. So first off, I'm a huge supporter of people playing Magic however they want to, and if people enjoy this format and want to play it, I think that's awesome. I definitely get the appeal of a format that is bigger than standard but smaller than modern. Like, I could see that really appealing to some people. So, number one, if you like Frontier, definitely check it out and play it, and I think that's really sweet that people are trying new things. Uh, the cynic in me says these big stores in Japan needed to sell some leftover cards that had just rotated, so they created a format to do that. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's true yeah. or not. Uh, for me personally, it doesn't really appeal to me. I've, I've had people ask me about this on Twitter, in different places, and yep. the card pool is just too small for me. If they had started the format with, eh, like, Shards of Alara, and it was half the size of Modern, I would be much more interested. But just looking over these deck lists uh, from the big tournament they had, it's... There's some it's like cons block. It's 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 basically cons block and some and some new cards. Yeah, I mean there's some new stuff, but it really yeah. does seem like the last year or two of standard the greatest hits. You got Abzan, you got Bant Humans with Collected Company, you got uh, Rally the Ancestors. So it's just like the greatest hits of the last year or two of standard that had uh, just rotated, all seeing battle against each other and. If that appeals to you, that's awesome, but I remember a lot of complaints about those formats and those decks. Like, yeah, Abzan with yeah. Siege Rhino, really? Not again. Like, so I think I'm still in the point where I'm sick of some of those cards, so playing a format that specifically makes those cards good again doesn't really excite me. 
Yeah, and that's kind of where I am, too. I mean, like I said, I mean, I've actually been, you know, not, you know, people can say what they want, but on Twitter, I've kind of just been not giving a pushback, but asking, like, the questions that we were asked, right, Seth? Like, what does this solve? What, uh, you know, well... You know, people were like you, like you just said, we're kind of sick of these decks already, and that's basically all I'm seeing is like Jeskai splash of color, Abzan splash of color. I mean, uh, Jeskai took down the 300 player tournament, so I'm like already kind of skeptical. And like these these four or five color like control lists, like yeah, there's some interesting stuff, and I'm I'm sure it is interesting, but I mean, we were just kind of asking the questions that we had. I mean, we had like countless. Twitter conversations and hundreds and hundreds of tweets about this and pushback and all that. So it's like, why are people suddenly, yeah, I get it's interesting, but it's like, you're right. The cynicism in me kind of got spurred a little bit when I see, you know, two big stores trying to champion this. Is like, what? Do you have just like a ton of like cons <laughs> stuff just like laying around that you can't sell? So, like, yeah, like the cynic in me kind of, there was, you know, in the back of my head, but. Again, I, I like Frontier. I like new formats. I like, like, solutions to, to problems. But, like, when we talked about Eternal, that felt more of, like, a solution to me because Legacy is always going to be tied to this reserve list and they can't ever reprint those cards and, like, the barrier is only going to increase, right? Like, people... The more and more people that play Legacy, the, the more these, like these reserve list cards go up and there's not ever a release valve for these cards, right? Like, the more people that play Legacy, the dual lands just keep going up. Tabernacle's like $800. Like, you know, wh when are people ever going to play these cards? This, I, I like the premise of it because it's logical. Like, the new frames forward makes sense to me in the terms of like, well, you know, people can't counterfeit and this, that, and the other thing. I get that. But what does this format actually solve? Because modern felt like a solution to me. Uh, yeah, it's pricey, but... What do people think are going to happen when the spotlight is now on Frontier and everyone's trying to clamor to play Frontier? Like, is this just kind of like the the vicious cycle of magic? Like, new deck, you know, new format concept. Everyone plays it now. Everyone is like, the prices go up, so now everybody's upset about it. And then what? Do we just make like a new format where it's just only two set blocks forward? Like, where does this end? Well, I mean, I think you you hit on something big there because if the idea is and I like this idea to give people who are maybe new-ish to the game, don't have all the modern cards, their standard cards rotate, give them a place to still play with their cards. And still, so you could hold yeah. your Abzan deck from last season, and you have a format where you can keep playing it. It's not good enough for modern, but you have this format. So I like that idea, but I think the logic of that is flawed, uh, because if this format sticks around two or three years from now, or ten years from now, it's going to be exactly the same as modern, where you're going to have this big card pool where certain cards rise to the top and you're the new player who bought in a year or two before your standard deck isn't going to be good enough to compete in frontier. You know what I'm saying? Cause the card pool is going to get bigger and it's right, going to be right, exactly yep. like modern. So it's not a long-term solution. If this is what you want and you want a format where players can play their standard cards uh, for a little bit longer. And I hate to say this because people hated the format, but I think what you want is extended. Like, you want a format that <laughs> right. that right. rotates, but it, it rotates slower, gives those players another year or two or whatever to play with their standard deck. So I think that you almost have to have a rotating format if that's the problem you're trying to fix. And I don't think right. this does and, it. And I actually legitimately said that in a tweet. Like, it kind of sounds like we want a rotating format again, right? Like, because it's just like the release valve. Like you said, like, this is not a long-term solution unless, I mean, this is kind of the idea of maybe – 
maybe this is how the game has to evolve. Like, we just start making new formats, like, every, like, X or so years. So, like, the the prices are kind of stable and people... Because, like you said, I mean, if this keeps going, I mean, there's no way the prices don't go up on some of these cards. And then, again, we're... we're what, I mean, they're already actually pretty pretty expensive. Let's not let's not like discredit that at all. Let's not like avoid the the the, the elephant in the room. Like I pu- I plugged in the second place deck. The so I'm looking at the four multicolor control list by Mikami Yoshiro. In case anyone wants to look it up, uh, into MTG Goldfish, and you know what it spit out? A five hundred and sixty dollar deck. I mean, that's... So that's that's actually more expensive than standard, and actually. On par with most modern decks. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think the Dredge List, it's currently the most played deck in modern. <laughs> the one uh, Brian Brandewin played yesterday was like 480 bucks. So you're essentially ba- paying modern deck prices for a format that, who knows? Like, uh, the bigger thing is, I just, I don't want to encourage people to buy into this format. If you want to do it, go for it. Yeah, but yeah. I, that, I don't want to create this impression that, like, this is the next big thing, because we have seen a lot of formats come and go. Uh, Tiny Leaders, uh, Eternal, yeah. there's a huge list, and we've seen, like, two, maybe, that really caught on and came, became big deals, uh, Commander and Modern. So, odds are... Uh, not in favor of new formats that are kind of created by players and stores actually becoming wizard-supported big deals on the GP circuit. So you're definitely risking a lot if you're going to buy a $500 deck for Frontier because there's a very real chance that it just doesn't work out. Yeah, and again, it all goes back to, and again, Seth, I mean, we were on the forefront of, like, Eternal and the idea of it. We got a lot of pushback. And I'm just asking the same questions, right? The same questions that you know, that were asked of us. Uh, and, and it just doesn't seem like, what is the solution here? Because if it's cost, it can't be cost, right? Because some of these decks are legitimately pretty expensive. I mean, most of them. I mean, if you plug a few of them in, yeah, you might get some $250, $300 decks, but that's still pretty expensive when you look at standard, which is, you just wrote an article, you know, the cheapest it's been in, like, years. I just, I don't understand because... You know, once everyone's starting to play, I just, I, again, I have my issues with it. But like you said, if you want to play Frontier, if that's a solution, that you just want to play this format, and that's just what the format is there for, um, you know, you like you have the, the modern frames forward, and I get the whole premise, and you just want to play it because it interests you, go ahead. But the, the, the solution, and maybe there really doesn't have to be a legitimate solution, it's just it can't be like cost or anything else because you can't win me over with that. So, question for you, Chaz. Are we at a point in the game, uh, we got Legacy and Vintage, we've talked about those. We got Modern, we got Standard, the two biggest formats. Are we at a point where we could bring back Extended and have it run alongside Modern and Standard and be a third format, or is that just Overload? I mean, if it, it would have to be indicative of how this, like, the the growing interest of this format, right? Like, if, if I look at that and people are legitimately excited about Frontier and it blows up in a huge way and, you know, just we're just talking hypothetical right now, then I think, yes, I think, then why not, right? If that is legitimately the concern, cost and, like, oh, you know, modern is expensive and standard rotates too quickly, we need something in between, I mean then it looks like extended is the answer. So it sticks around. You don't have to just keep making X a new format, right? Because we just talked about that. If Frontier doesn't seem like 
a solution that will be there for the long run because then you're just going to exactly run into the same issues that you're trying to resolve now just you know five years from now or what have you then extended looks like the solution have instead of just making x new formats whether it be grassroots or stores or what have you just have extended it rotates and then you don't ever have to worry about it and then at one point if you do start it from m15 or forward or, or if that's like the crux of it they will always be new bordered so you don't ever have to worry about people like counterfeiting it or what have you. Yeah, and I don't even think that point is that far in the future, actually. If yeah. you went back to the actual extended, in the next like year or two, you would just have all cards that were had the hologram and had the M15 border anyway. So that you're yep. right, that would just naturally happen. But I don't know. I The thing I'm skeptical of with Frontier is I think that it would end up being almost the same as extended but without the name and without official yeah. rotation yes. so people are just going to get stuck holding the bag it's going to be like we do this for three or four years then you get into the point where you have the same issues as modern where you have old expensive cards that aren't being reprinted and then people like want something else so you just start like frontier 2 but start it at m18 <laughs> yeah. and then and it would be better if everyone knew when the rotations were happening and you were just like legitimately made it extended again as a rotating format because if you're going to do it the sketchy way without having it be known and be official with the rotations, that's going to leave a lot of players like holding the bag with cards that they couldn't get rid of before this rotation that they didn't even know was happening happens. Yeah, absolutely right. And, and, and you just can't convince me. The core will always be cons. And, you know, people with the pushback, oh, well, there's a core from, you know, the modern era of these cards. Like, not really. I mean, yeah, there's some strong eighth ed cards like Blood Moon and what, what have you that do kind of dictate the tournament. But there's a lot of different cards from a lot of different eras of, you know, in the modern lifetime, right? It's, it's not like one specific standard is dictating all of modern. This is like... Origins and that whole time period and cons and all that was so strong. It feels like so strong that you can't tell me that all these two different these two color block or these two set blocks rather are going to change the course of that. And and then you look at well, Jace Vrin's Prodigy plus Fetch Lands and Dual and Battle Lands will always be the crux of this format. You can't argue it otherwise. I just you, it's just going to be a losing argument. And that was one of the most expensive standards. So if if Frontier blows up and everyone wants Fetchlands and Jace Friends Prodigies and all that stuff again, then we're looking at $700 Frontier decks again because it's essentially just the standard that we just left. Yeah, and then you might as well just play Modern if the, if, right. if price is what you're going into the format yes. for. It can't be price. It can't be because, like I just told you, some of the decks you plug them in, they're just they're either almost close to Modern decks and actually surpassing Standard decks in price. Can't be price. So... Again, you don't have to have a legitimate solution. Again, I like Modern. Seth and I, I, I mean, I think you're in the same boat, Seth. You know, if you want to play Frontier, you want to play Magic any way you want to, go right ahead. But we're just kind of laying this all out there, like, as, you know, the concerns. And we've had to deal with this with Eternal and, and any other, like, format that actually pops up. Yeah, so just... I mean, do what you want to do and have fun playing Magic, but don't... It's dangerous to buy into the hype of things like this too early. From a financial yes. perspective, you end up losing money. We saw it with Tiny Leaders. I don't think it happened too much with Eternal, because Eternal never really blew up to any big sure. extent. But but it's definitely a risk that you're like, oh, this format's going to be the next big thing. You spend $1,000 to get a couple Tier 1 decks, not that anyone even, like... You have a metagame to build off of yet, other than just old standards 
your decks. So, and that could definitely end up hurting you financially. So take a deep breath. If you want to check it out, try to do it as cheaply as possible. See if you even like it and just give it another six months or a year. And then we'll know a lot more about what this, uh, the future of this format is going to look like. If people are still playing this a year from now and it's growing, then I will be to the point most likely where I'm like, all right, this is probably a thing that's sticking around. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's quickly go into fish mail. So let's try to get through these as quickly as you can, uh, as we can, Seth. Uh, there's some some good ones. Uh, we wanted to pick a, a few of them out to answer on cast. If we don't answer it on cast, you know, what we do now is actually just try to answer them via Twitter. Uh, but we try to take the emails, but don't start sending like 500, you know, 10,000 word emails. Keep them brief, and we'll either answer them via email or what have you. And again, t- the best way to do this is tweet at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fishman. Every week, uh, this, these have been great. So just real quick. So, hey, guys, big fan of your work. Love your videos and your podcast. Two questions. Favorite counterspell art? And normally when people stream, they have a camera showing them in the bottom left corner. Why don't you do that? They want to build a saffron olive shrine. So <laughs> uh, I guess first counters. I can answer that really quickly. It's Mercadia Masks. I love that counterspell art. I I, I got to go with Tempest. I think it might be the okay. worst counterspell art, but it has, like, the, the thriller guy on it with his hands out that's like... Zzz. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That one just I, cracks me up, so I, yeah. I'm going to go with that one. Second runner-up is Seventh Ed, the kind of, like, they're in, like, meditation, and they have all the beams coming up, but can't use it white border, so... Uh... <laughs> Is, and I'm not buying 7th Ed Foil, so no. <laughs> no. Uh, As far as the stream thing, we've basically just had a bunch of different comments on that where some people would like to have a camera, other people don't want to have a camera, so we just haven't done anything with it at this point. It's something that could happen in the future, uh, but we just haven't really done anything with it yet because it's one of those things that there's a lot of mixed feedback on. Also complicated by the fact that we've been streaming at 720p, which means there's not as much screen to go around when you have the big overlay, which everyone really likes. So that's the other problem is just uh, finding a way to make it work while having all the other stuff that people unanimously like, like the decklist overlay and still fitting more stuff on the screen. I keep hearing people talk about Lily and Goblin Guide will drop once M7, M Modern Master 17 arrives, but how can people be so sure? So we don't know exactly for sure what is in Modern Masters 2017, but we do know that is going up in, uh, into Innistrad, uh, and I think beyond, right? Like into Return to Ravnica, stuff like that? I believe Return to Ravnica block is the cutoff for 2017. Yeah, we just, I mean, people are assuming Liliana may be in there, but again, it's still all speculative. And Goblin Guide, I mean, it hasn't really, it hasn't been reprinted. People are kind of anticipating it will be in Modern Master 2017. And and just to, I agree with that, to take the kind of the other look at the question, we assuming they are in Modern Master 17, the reason that we know they'll drop is we have a lot of data on past Master's Edition sets, how they impact the prices of staple cards like that, and almost without exception, even though some of the cards rebound, they're going to drop significantly over the short and midterm because it's been like that every single Modern Master's release. So that was KC Metronome, KC underslash Metronome, at Rob Overton. I heard SCG is reducing legacy support. Will prices drop? Will they bounce or stay down? Asking from a buying angle. Okay, so we just talked about this. The reserve list always will have, you know, those cards on there, like dual lands that people ubiquitously use for EDH or what have you. But as long as, you know, legacy really isn't in the spotlight, some cards will come down. I mean, that really... 
you know, that's just that's just kind of the bottom line. Yeah, I don't know how much it matters at this point. Like, I yeah, I, I think like Legacy is already so far down if, based on where it was at its peak. I I just don't know how much more this this new announcement is gonna impact prices. Like, it just seems like it's one more thing and. For some of the cards, like you mentioned, there's just the supply is so low. They're collector's items. People want them for their commander decks and stuff like that, that it's hard for those kind of cards to just really crash in price. So I wouldn't, if you're thinking, oh, I'm going to buy a legacy deck, I wouldn't be like, oh, if I wait six months, I'm going to get a 50% discount on my deck or something. I think a, a big price crash like that is unlikely. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to drop overnight. But again, I mean, some of these cards are now being reprinted in, like, Eternal Masters or even uh, Commander products, uh, Conspiracy products. So those cards, I mean, uh, will just go down just from the sheer fact that they're being reprinted. But the, oh, yeah, the yeah. reserve list, yeah, I mean, those cards, I mean, obviously they're on reserve list. So at Mumu Marley, uh, Weekly Frontier question, what deck would each of the three of you play in Frontier? Uh, well, Richard isn't here, but it would probably involve black yeah. cards, like Jund or Abzan. <laughs> that would be my guess. <laughs> Some aggressive deck, I don't even know at this point, but to pull just really quickly, there's a multicolor aggro deck that has like Anafenza, Butcher of the Horde, uh, Woodland Wanderer. I'd definitely play something like that, where it's just like huge... You know, <laughs> aggressive creatures from every color. Sign me up. I, I'm not <laughs> seeing it on this list of decks from the tournament, but I was reading about some tournament or something that a Panharmonicon Elves list top aided. And I yes. would definitely give Panharmonicon Elves a chance. Not because I love Elves so much, but I just really love Panharmonicon. Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> so thank you for that. Okay, so MTG Goldfish for those MIDI fans. Any chance for the podcast music downloads? Uh, that is... That's Julio Lopez. Julio Zan Lopez. That is not something that's available right now, but I will definitely send in the suggestion for that and see if that could be possible at some point in the future. Okay. Pro you Daddy. Zero three one two D Daddy. Oh, proud Daddy. Oh my God. P R O U D. I was like, what? I was like, what? Oh. That is. Oh my goodness. That was a. That I think that might be like our first huge like fish mail fail. Yeah. Is there a at place on the site that your schedule for content laid out like what night things come out on? Uh, there is not a schedule on the site. There is sort of on the YouTube channel for videos and the header. It says what day things come out, but there is not an official schedule, but I really like the idea of having a schedule so people will know when stuff comes out. So that's another thing that I will look at seeing if maybe in the future we can have that available. Awesome. So that's all the fish mail for the podcast. Now, again, like I said, if we haven't answered them, we will take the time to answer them via Twitter. So yeah, thanks. Uh, that was great. I think that's about it, Seth. I, I, we covered everything. We may have Tomer on next week to talk about Commander 2016. That does drop on Friday the 11th. All right, so that's going to wrap it up for the MTG Goldfish podcast. Seth and I signing out. We will see you all next week. <laughs>